threesome, despite being the most popular sexual fantasy, was the one where when people actually acted it out, it was the least likely to turn out well. There is definitely a right way and a not so right way to talk about wanting to have a threesome with your partner. And that is one of the things that Justin Lay Miller and I are talking about today. He's a research fellow at the Kinsey Institute, blogger at Sex and Psychology, and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, which is available in paperback today. We're going to talk about how to talk about your fantasies without intimidating your partner as much as possible. You'll learn the seven most common sexual fantasies. You already know what number one is, threesomes. How planning sex can actually boost your sex life, as in like scheduling it, like putting it on the calendar. Um, what some of your fantasies reveal about who you are as a sexual person and how sharing your fantasies can be really, really hot. And just because you share your fantasy doesn't mean you actually want to go through with the fantasies. A lot of the fantasies that we have, we don't actually want to go through with them. And a lot of them, if we do go through with them, sometimes they can be really disappointing. So sometimes just having the fantasy, talking about the fantasy is arousing and can bring a lot to your sex life. So that is what Justin and I are talking about today. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Drive. Justin, could you please introduce yourself? My name is Justin Laymiller. I am a research fellow at the Kinsey Institute, where I study the science of sex and relationships. I run a blog called Sex and Psychology, and I recently published a book called Tell Me What You Want that's all about the science of sexual fantasies, including what we fantasize about, what our fantasies say about us, and how to get more of what we want out of our sex lives. Amazing. I love that. I want to write a book called How to Ask for Anything, which seems kind of connected to Tell Me What You Want. Yep. I think there's going to be a lot of overlap there. <laughs> so where do we start this conversation on fantasies? Okay, I, I, it seems like a really big topic. So I'm curious, like, where, where do you want to start? I can really kind of go anywhere here. Um, and it could be from what are the most common types of sexual fantasies to what do your fantasies maybe reveal about your personality to how to communicate effectively with your partners about them. So, um, you know, any or all of that are, are certainly good topics for me. Okay. Yeah. Let's start with like, what are the most common fantasies? I have some ideas. I'm curious what the data suggests. So for this book, I surveyed 4,175 Americans about their sexual fantasies. They ranged in age from 18 to 87. They came from all 50 states. They represent diverse backgrounds in terms of their gender, their sexual identity, their political and religious backgrounds and affiliations. So it's really a nice cross-section of the population who were reporting on what turned them on. And these people completed a 369-question survey that asked about not just their favorite fantasy of all time, but 
also hundreds of people, places, and things they might have ever fantasized about. And one of the things I did with the data was to take people's favorite fantasies and to look at common themes that emerged in them. And what I found was that there were really seven distinct themes that that appeared. And these themes really seemed to categorize the bulk of people's favorite fantasies. So those themes were first, multi-partner sex, where it's more than two people involved. Second was BDSM fantasies, so any kind of fantasy involving power play or control. The third category was what I called novelty and adventure, where basically people are taking sex in a new direction for them. So that could be having sex in a new position or a new location in the home, or maybe going outside of the home. Following that, we had taboo fantasies where people are fantasizing about doing something that is socially or culturally forbidden. Then there are the passion and romance fantasies where people are trying to meet deeper emotional needs and really feel connected to another person. Then there are the non-monogamy fantasies where people are thinking about having some type of sexually open relationship uh, or maybe swinging or polyamory. Then there are the uh, gender bending and homoeroticism fantasies, where basically people are pushing the boundaries of their gender role or sexual orientation, such as cross dressing or maybe a heterosexual person who has a same sex fantasy. So, those were really the seven main themes that emerged in the data. And are those in order of popularity? More or less. Yeah. So, the multi partner BDSM and novelty fantasies were the three types of things that almost everyone reported having had a fantasy about before at one time or another. It doesn't necessarily mean it's their favorite fantasy, but when I looked at whether people reported having ever fantasized about those things, you're talking about 85, 90 or more percent people reporting fantasizing about each of them at least once before. So the multi-partner is like threesomes and moresomes? Exactly. Having, bringing an extra person or persons into the bedroom? Yep. And threesome was actually the single most popular sexual fantasy in my data. Uh, one of the things I did was after participants wrote out their favorite fantasy of all time, I asked them to sum up their favorite fantasy in just one word that captures the main theme. And I took those one word descriptions, I plugged them into a word cloud generator. And the first time I did this, basically all it said was threesome. You couldn't read any other words <laughs> because so many people had said it. So I had to, when I was creating this word cloud, go in and decrease the, the size of threesome so that you could actually read some of the other words that showed up. What were some of the other, the other words? So a lot of them had to do with a uh, variants of BDSM, whether it was forced sex or dominance or submission or sadism or masochism. Then there were, you know, lots of words about just trying new and different things like having sex in public or on a beach or under a waterfall. So, so those were really kind of the, the words that tended to be biggest on this word cloud. I mean, okay. So, you know, having sex on a beach sounds nice, <laughs> right? Yep. And it can be very nice, but there is a prevalence of sand. And this is one of those things where sometimes the fantasy is better than reality because the way it works out in our mind, we don't have sand particles getting anywhere and everywhere. You don't have, you know, to 
deal with wildlife and other things like that that might be happening around you. So uh, yeah, that's one of those reasons why when it comes to acting on a fantasy, you got to do a bit of planning ahead and go in with realistic expectations and recognize that sometimes that beautiful scenario that we played out in our mind might not translate as well in the real world. Yeah, it's sort of like taking a shower underneath a waterfall. Like, waterfall, and this is like a classic Mitch Hedberg joke, but like, we'll knock you on your ass. Right. (laughs) Right, so like, what we might think of as being pleasurable and like romanticized, a a sort of like exciting sexual adventure might actually like in reality not be that great. Yeah, and that's why I think it's important when people are thinking about acting on a sexual fantasy to bear in mind that human beings are very poor predictors of how they're going to feel in future situations. We make what are called affective forecasting errors, where basically we overestimate how positive and good we think we're going to feel in pleasurable situations. But at the same time, we also overestimate how bad we think we're going to feel in negative situations. And it's just because there's all these other variables that come into play that we can't mentally account for until we're actually in that environment. I can just imagine, right? Let's let's use threesome as an example. It's exciting to think about bringing an extra person into your bedroom, especially if it's the the gender that you're attracted to. Mm -hmm. And also... Sometimes it's worth playing the tape forward. What is that encounter actually going to look like? And what are the effects of that encounter going to be on your relationship? And I think that that's a really good example of where people often make these affective forecasting errors. Threesome, despite being the most popular sexual fantasy, was the one where when people actually acted it out, it was the least likely to turn out well. And it's precisely because you've got all these other things going on that people weren't really thinking about when they had the fantasy. So one of them is, well, how do I feel when I see my partner getting sexual attention from someone else, right? That's a situation where sometimes it leads to feelings of jealousy or insecurity. Also, in a lot of threesome fantasies, I find that more often than not, people are picturing themselves as being the center of attention. And so if everybody wants to be the center of attention, that can kind of lead to some conflict about you know, how that encounter is going to go. And then there's also just the fact that when people get into a group sex situation, There's just all of this hesitancy about who's supposed to do what with whom and when. And a lot of people just don't have a script for how that goes. And everybody's fantasy threesome scenario plays out in a somewhat different way. And so when you've got three people coming in with kind of different ideas for how this is going to go, you can imagine that, you know, that's not always going to go exactly according to everyone's plan. That's sort of connected to this idea that I've been working on is... You know, the idea that like uh, there is very little shared meaning until we actually talk about what it is that we mean when we say this. And so in the context of a threesome, when I say threesome, what do I mean? Oh, well, I actually meant me, my female partner, and her girlfriend. And she actually was thinking me, her, and my, my male friend, right? So like already we need to sort of establish what is it that we're talking about? And how is it going to, what is it going to look like? What are we going to do? How are we going to approach this? It's a lot more complicated than like, let's just have a threesome. And I think that's absolutely true. And it's, speaks to the importance of when you're communicating about your fantasies and your desires, 
to be clear and specific, right? Because different people might get very different mental pictures for what a threesome is or what a BDSM encounter might look like or what any type of fantasy might look like or how the situation would go. So it's very important to talk things through extensively in advance uh, because the more communication that happens before and during the act, the better in terms of increasing the odds of a positive experience for everybody. It, this just leads me to this this thought that like some people think that if you talk about it, it's kind of a buzzkill, <laughs> right? And that that has never been my experience. I, I think that tr- um, transparency equals arousal. It, well, it equals safety, and safety can equal arousal, even though paradoxically uh, elements of danger can also <laughs> equal arousal, uh, especially like when we talk about like taboo, and BDSM, like kind of forced sex, there's an element of danger there. But it's hard to explore that stuff without actually having communicated what are the safe words? How is this going to go? Why are we doing this? What is this going to bring to our relationship? Um, so I, I sort of want to demystify that, like, talking about it is probably not going to kill the buzz. If anything, it might, it might facilitate the arousal. And I I completely agree with that. And my data back it up that the people who have shared their fantasies with their partners are reporting higher levels of sexual and relationship satisfaction. And the more communicative people are with their partners in general, the better the experiences they have when it comes to acting on their sexual fantasies. So talking things through, being open about them, having that mutual trust and intimacy actually brings people closer and enhances sexual passion and excitement rather than taking something away from it. And there's also nothing wrong with planning out this future sexual encounter, especially if you're thinking about acting on a fantasy for the first time, because the act of planning it out can build up the anticipation and excitement. And, you know, there are all kinds of ways that it that can enhance the encounter rather than taking away from it. And I like that strategy, even just in regular lovemaking, you know, like the lovemaking starts not when you're getting naked, but can start days and even weeks before as you sort of like build up the anticipation and talk about what it's going to bring to you or, or that you're, you know, you're thinking about it and you're, you're excited about it. And all that can add to the, you know, like the crescendo of the actual fantasy being played out. Yeah. And I think people tend to be under this false impression that sex is only good or sex is best when it's totally spontaneous and not planned. And one thing that I think is helpful to think about here is that in our lives in general, we plan most of our fun, right? Fun doesn't just happen. It's because we set aside time for it and we go in with the right mindset and we make the most of that situation. And we've also let the anticipation and excitement build up to it. So think about how you plan your vacations, you plan parties and all of these other sorts of things. So why not plan sex, right? There's nothing wrong with that. And there are ways that you can use that to your advantage to, to really boost your sex life. I'm just thinking about like planning dinner in a movie with a friend of mine that I really love and how I get excited as soon as it's on the books. 
Right. Right. And I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to get to have dinner and, and watch a movie with Alex. I'm excited about the movie. I'm excited about the dinner, the places that we've chosen. And then I can look forward to it for days. Yeah. And it's the same with like a sexual fantasy where Friday night is going to be fantasy night, you know, like you can put that on the books. You can let that excitement build. And, you know, also by having it there, you and your partner can have this sort of lead up to it where maybe you're sexting each other throughout the day leading up to this. And that can lead both of you to to enter this situation in a heightened state of arousal where there is that passion and intensity that everybody really wants and craves when it comes to sex. I guess before we get too far into like the planning and, and all that, like we can back up and we can explore a little bit about like how you even begin to have this conversation. And that's a really big and really important question. And I think the first part when it comes to sharing or acting on sexual fantasies with a partner is that you have to feel good about yourself to be able to put yourself in that position of vulnerability where you're sharing your deepest, most intimate thoughts with another person. And what I find in my research is that there's a lot of shame and guilt and embarrassment centering around sexual fantasies. And a large part of that stems from people thinking that their fantasies are rare or unusual. In reality, what I see in the data is that most of us are fantasizing about the same types of things. And there's there's a lot more that we have in common than that separates us. And so that's one of the things I really try to do in the book is to show people what a normal sexual fantasy is and how that's actually a very wide range and that you're probably not weird or unusual. And so I think that's the really important starting point is you have to feel good about yourself to open yourself up to your partner in that way. And then once you've gotten that level of self-acceptance, then the fun can, can really begin. (laughs) This feels huge. And also like I realized that it's also, it's a big process. Absolutely. Right. Like we're now we're talking about self-worth, self-confidence, the fact that that you're not unlike other people, that your desires are just and true, that they're not weird or freaky. And you know, this isn't just something that you just sort of decide one day. You're like, oh, I you know what? I am worthy of this. I am not weird and freaky. I totally accept myself and my desires and my fantasies. I just want to recognize that this isn't just like a switch that you flip and that you are now suddenly in acceptance of all the stuff that you might've had a lot of shame around because we, we hold a lot of shame around sex. Right. And that shame builds up for, for years, maybe decades. And it comes from a lot of different sources from what we've been taught in our religious upbringings in our broader culture, in our families, we get a lot of ideas about sex that can easily make us feel weird or abnormal or that sex is only this one very narrow thing that happens under these very limited circumstances. And so there absolutely is a lot of important work to be done here on ourselves that can and does take some time. And so that's why when it comes to sharing sexual fantasies, you know, I get all these questions from people about, you know, 
how do I get my partner on board with the idea of an open relationship or uh, how do we have a threesome or how do we start to explore BDSM together? You know, I get these questions all the time and people just want to kind of jump right into it, but you got to step back and do that work on yourself first. And then when you actually get to the point of communicating with your partner about your fantasies and desires, it's starting low and going slow. You don't want to jump into your most adventuresome fantasies right away. Start at the more vanilla end of the spectrum. Uh, Share some of the more tame fantasies and use that as a starting point to build trust and intimacy and communication with your partner because all of those skills are essential if you want to act on some more adventuresome fantasies later on. Yeah, I think that trust and intimacy is built slowly over time. And a good way of evaluating whether the person that you're sharing this stuff with is safe is to do small disclosures, right? So like you said, start slow and start, what is it? Start low and start slow? Start low, go slow. Start low, go slow. So small disclosures to see how do they respond, right? And that gives you a little bit more trust in how they're responding, how they can hold your heart, how they can hold your fantasies, how they show up in the relationship. And that's exactly what the research on self-disclosure in general shows, is that it works best when it's this slow, gradual process where it's reciprocal and you say one thing, they say one thing, you do this in an atmosphere of acceptance and non-judgment, and then that lets the trust build, it lets the intimacy build, and it's really from there that you can progress into the, the really exciting fantasies that you've always had and have been too afraid to share with someone. So I wouldn't just be like, hey, baby, I really want to fuck your boss, Susan. Probably not the best approach, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Especially if if you want, if that's what you want, there are different ways of going about it. And we're also not promising that you will ever get to fuck your boss, Susan, or your or your partner's boss, Susan. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is also one of those things where when you're sharing a fantasy, you got to think about how you're framing it to your partner, right. Right? right? So if you tell them that you want to have sex with their boss or their best friend or someone else (laughs) that could easily lead someone to feel insecure and threatened. And so you have to think about what are your partner's emotional response is going to be and how can I validate my partner as I'm sharing my sexual fantasies to make it clear that I'm not trying to replace them and that we're using this as an opportunity to build intimacy and trust between us rather than to, to push us apart. Okay. I think that's key here we are having these conversations so that we can be closer together. Yep. I can let you in on things that I've been thinking about, that I'm fantasizing about, because I want to bring you into those fantasies, not because I want you to sit aside while you watch me do this thing. Although that might be one of the fantasies, and that might totally work within the scope of your relationship. But the underlying driver, motivator is connection and closeness with your partner. And I think that's really a beautiful way of framing it is that you're you're bringing them in in this process. You're letting them in on a secret that maybe they've never shared with anyone else. And that can be really powerful as a, a tool for bonding. Yeah, it's an intimacy builder for sure. Yeah. So, okay, I'm still a little unclear. How do we 
how do we even like start this conversation? I have some ideas and I've actually done a little bit of this in my current relationship and I'll kind of share with you how I clunkily did it. But I'm curious, how, how can we do it a little bit more tactfully than the way I probably did it? So there's all kinds of ways to start the conversation and you kind of have to figure out what your comfort zone and, and level is there. And so first is sort of picking the right time and place to have this conversation. Uh, you know, maybe not at the breakfast table, maybe not when you're out at a restaurant at dinner where other people could overhear. So it's, you know, picking a time and place where you've got some privacy, ideally where you're both already sexually aroused. So maybe after you've watched an erotic movie together or after having a long makeout session, because what the research shows is that when we are in a heightened state of sexual arousal, our discussed response lessens. And so when you're starting to share sexual fantasies and talk about various sexual acts, having that discussed lowering effect of arousal can make it easier to have some of these conversations where partners will be more receptive to what the other one is saying. So find a good time and situation for that. Some people might consume a little bit of alcohol beforehand because alcohol is an aphrodisiac, but it's, you know, figuring that out for you. And in terms of the specific icebreaker, there are different ways to, to do this. It could be playing an erotic game together, like would you rather is, is one of my favorite ones to suggest where you can pose a couple of different scenarios and ask your partner, would you rather have a threesome or would you rather try BDSM? Right. And so that is a way to just throw some things out there without necessarily owning them as your own fantasies, just to kind of gauge what your partner says and what they might be into. Another way to go is to use technology and to look at some of these apps that are out there where you can share sexual fantasies with each other that way. So a couple of them that I recommend are X, X Confessions is one of them, and there's another one called Own Your Sex. Both of them are similar in that they're kind of like Tinder for sexual fantasies where you'll have a sexual scenario that pops up and you swipe right if you're into it and left if you're not. And basically what these apps do is they compile the shared interests that you and your partner have, and they only share the matches with the two of you. So that's a great way of kind of honing in on what are our shared fantasies that we can use as a starting point for, for talking about them. So think about some of these different scenarios and what you're comfortable with and what you think might work with you and your partner. I love the tools. I love also just this idea that like, here are some options. Find one that works for you and your partner. Like, you know, it's like a lot of the work that I do is around communication. I can't tell you the scripts that are going to work for your particular situation. I can make some suggestions and then it's kind of up to you. Here are the tools, pick up the ones that make sense and try them and see what happens. So I, I want to highlight the fact that we we don't we won't be able to give you exactly what you need to do in order to bring up your fantasies in the most, you know, respectful way. Although I'm guessing that reading your book would probably be <laughs> the best thing <laughs> that anybody listening right now can do to like get the understanding also a lot of the data to help you sort of navigate this, what could be potentially a minefield, I think. It, it, human sexuality is always a this potential minefield. And there is never a one-size-fits-all solution that 
any sex therapist or sex coach could recommend to people that's going to work for everyone because every person every relationship every sexual fantasy these things are all unique and so you got to figure out a bit on your own what works for you and your partner based on your own personalities and communication styles and so it might take a little bit of trial and error and experimentation before you figure out what works well and and that's okay just remember that relationships and communication it's all this process and you just kind of have to figure out what's right for you and the good thing is that we have the power to apologize and to make amends and to make things right. And so I would rather people get it wrong, but try than to not try at all. Yeah. And I think that that's a healthy way to approach relationships. One thing that I encourage people to do is to take what we call a growth orientation toward their relationships. There are some people who kind of approach relationships with what we call a destiny orientation, where they think that people either are meant to be or they aren't. And if you run into conflicts or disagreements, that's a sign that the relationship just wasn't meant to be and it's going to fail. And what we see is that people who adopt that mindset, their relationships don't last very long. Um, by contrast, the people who take a growth orientation, who recognize that problems and disagreements and conflict can and will inevitably emerge, but they can be overcome, those people tend to be much happier and have longer relationships. I'm, I love growth mindset in general. Um, I'm currently quarantined with my girlfriend and we've never lived together or spent any more than like five days together um, in the couple years that we've been together. So we're learning about the way that we are on a daily basis. And, you know, I shared with her how I prefer uh, like... <laughs> a clean bathroom sink and that like I don't enjoy like <laughs> globs of toothpaste in the sink and which I was just like it just I don't even understand like why you would leave a glob of toothpaste <laughs> in the sink and like we, we were able to share this and she was like oh yeah it's just like I just do it so quickly I'm not, I don't even like pay attention and and then she uh, mentioned that she really appreciates it uh, when clothes are just like lay, like just left all over the place. And that is absolutely something that I do. Like I just leave my clothes. I, I'll pick them up eventually. They're not going to stay there for multiple days. But like, you know, I, I just like take my sweater off and I like throw it on a chair and it stays there for the rest of the day. Um, so we're able to have these conversations. And that's, I guess, you know, it's a growth mindset just because we have different ways of operating doesn't mean we're not destined to be get together. It just means that we're destined to have a conversation about it if we want the other person to adjust to us. Absolutely. And never during any time other than quarantine has, has a growth mindset been so important for relationship <laughs> survival because these are challenging times. And if you're not willing to work past the inevitable challenges that this situation is going to pose, you're going to be in for a very long, very uncomfortable situation. It feels like benign, right? To talk about like toothpaste in the sink <laughs> and clothes laying around. And when I compare that to how big it might feel to share fantasies, it feels a little daunting to me. Absolutely. And that's because people are carrying around all of this shame and guilt and anxiety about 
what it is that turns them on. And so just opening the door to having that conversation is the, the bar is just so much higher than most other things in our relationships. But it's so important for us to find ways to work past the shame to have those conversations because what I see in the data is that the people who are sharing their fantasies are are doing the best and they're having the best sexual functioning, the happiest and healthiest relationships. And so there's all kinds of benefits that we can get by getting more in touch with our fantasies and bringing our partners into those worlds. And one other thing that I would say related to this is that when you look at the root of most sexual problems, most of the time it's psychological and it's tied to anxiety and guilt and shame and distractions and it's all mental in in a large number of the cases and so we need to work on ourselves to really have the level of sexual functioning and excitement and passion that we really want in our lives there's not some simple pill we can take to to change our bodies because these usually aren't purely physiological things it's it's all about what's going on in your brain and the more you let people in to what's going on in your brain the more they understand you and it also feels like it could be normalizing and also you're not the only person that knows what's going on definitely and that's one of the real benefits here is that when you can share this this fantasy that you've had for a really long time and your partner sees you and accepts you, maybe even wants to go a step further and explore that fantasy with you. I mean, just think about how validating that is and also how exciting it is to to take this thing that's been private for so long and and really formally have a chance to express it um, and, and, and to celebrate it, right? This process can be very cathartic in a lot of ways. I like what you said. They can you know, you you could share with them the fantasy and they might even be willing to explore it, which means that there's a possibility in which you share your fantasy and it is not explored. It remains a fantasy, but it's not a fantasy that no one else knows about. When it comes to fantasies, sometimes people want to act on them and sometimes they don't. Now, if it's their favorite fantasy of all time, I find that for most people, that tends to be a desire. About 80% of my participants said that they want to incorporate their favorite fantasy into their sex life at some point in the future. But only about one in five of my participants had ever done it before. So there's this really big gap that we're seeing between fantasy and reality, where a lot of people want to take those fantasies and, and really express them in some way. But what people have to recognize is that there are potential rewards of acting and sharing our sexual fantasies, but there are also potential risks that come along with them as well. And so there's a lot of planning and forethought that has to go in to the equation when we're thinking about actually taking a fantasy and acting on it. Sharing it with a partner is one thing, but going that extra step and turning it into reality is a whole other beast. And I see in the research that the link between sharing fantasies and sexual and relationship satisfaction is stronger than the link between acting on sexual fantasies and sexual and relationship satisfaction. And that's because acting on it is just where you start to run into more potential risks for things to go wrong and for fantasy to not live up uh, 
or for the reality to not live up to your fantasy. So are, are you saying that the, the sharing the fantasy uh, can be connected to a greater increase in satisfaction, in relational satisfaction, over actually acting out the fantasies? So that's what the research seems to suggest. And I, I think it makes sense because sharing the fantasy is building the intimacy through that process of self-disclosure and can increase trust and communication. But acting on it, you know, like <laughs> like we talked about with, say, the threesome fantasies, people get into those situations and realize, oh, maybe this isn't for me after all, or that's just not what I expected for, for this encounter. Yeah, or, you know, it broke the relationship. Seeing my partner have sleep with somebody else, I was overcome with just too much and, and you know, and, and created at the end of the relationship. And that does happen sometimes. But what I see in my data actually is that more often than not, people report that acting on their fantasy does turn out well, that it lives up to their expectations, and further, that it brings them closer to their partners. So more often than not, people seem to be doing well when they're acting on their fantasies, but that's not true across the board. It depends on the type of fantasy. It also depends on the personality traits of the partners involved. So for example, I find that people who are more extroverted, people who are uh, higher in the personality trait of agreeableness, which involves having more care and concern for the well-being of others, these types of people report better experiences acting on their fantasies. And by contrast, people who are high in the trait of neuroticism, which involves not dealing well with stress and having some more emotional instability, those individuals don't do as well when it comes to acting on their sexual fantasies, which makes sense because you're trying something new and trying new things is stressful. So if you're not somebody who deals well with stress, maybe you don't want to go that extra step of acting on your fantasies, or maybe you just want to take it really, really slow. Yeah, that sounds, those are both two great, great options. If you are someone who is more likely to experience stress or anxiety mm -hmm. when trying new stuff. Uh, either don't try, don't try it or go really, really slow. Yeah, and that's why it's it's so important for you to know yourself before you get into exploring your fantasies and know what your comfort zone is and what your boundaries and limitations are, because that's incredibly variable from one person to the next. One of the things that uh, I did went I went to a party with my girlfriend and it was like a dance party and but it was it was like a a small dance party there was probably only like 30 people and it was kind of facilitated there was like an opening circle it was around halloween and there was like a lot of beautiful people there and at the end of the party we were kind of walking home and and I said something like you know so <laughs> who you know were you attracted to anybody at the party did you find anybody cute other than me and she was like, uh, yeah, there was like, this guy was kind of cute and that, that woman was kind of cute. And then she goes, what about you? And I go, yeah, this, I, you know, I found these two women were like very cute. And then we kind of talked about like what we liked about them, what was particularly attractive, you know, which qualities or was it just physical or was it their way of being? And that led to a conversation about a fantasy that I have of having a threesome. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm so unique of, <laughs> of wanting to sleep with her and another woman. And I said something along the lines of like, hey, I, you know, I have a fantasy that I'd like to share with you. And she said, oh, yeah, what's that? And I go, I, I would really like to one of these days 
perhaps, maybe have sex with you and another woman. And she was like, oh, wow, okay. That's, thank you for sharing that. And I said, is that something that you would ever want to do? And she was like, I think that is something that I would want to do at some point. Mm-hmm. So it, it felt like there, it, it didn't feel like there was like the baby steps to this, but I guess there is because we kind of talked about this party and these other people and whether, you know, there was anybody there that she was attracted to. And that was sort of the door, mm-hmm. right? We were able to have, so we were able to have that conversation and I felt kind of heard and I didn't feel that she was threatened by the fact that I had asked this question and that I shared about my attraction to somebody else. And that felt like an, an appropriate opening for sharing my fantasy. Yeah. And it's also a situation where there wasn't mutual pressure provided to say, you know, I, I demand to know what your fantasies are, or, uh, you know, that we absolutely have to do this, right? It was, I, I like the way that you framed it in terms of being sort of this open conversation that evolves and eventually kind of goes one step deeper. And that that's a great starting point for kind of laying the groundwork for how you might actually go about incorporating that into your sex life. And so once you kind of get on the same page about these, these fantasies that are shared, it's okay, let's figure out how that might actually work. And this is an area where it requires some research and planning ahead. Uh, So for example, one book I often recommend to people who are thinking about exploring non-monogamy or group sex is a book called The Ethical Slut, which really provides a detailed breakdown into how you might navigate different kinds of non-monogamous situations. Um, Related to this, another book I sometimes recommend is is called The Jealousy Workbook. And it's a way that partners can kind of work through potential or anticipated feelings of jealousy that that might emerge in a non-monogamous situation and provide some strategies on how to deal with that. So I think you know, doing some of that work beforehand can really help when it comes to to actually turning that fantasy into reality. If we even want to. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you ever have to do it. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to be able to lay the groundwork and to look at the potential pitfalls. What I've found that's really interesting and fun is since I've shared that fantasy, now we have sort of a habit of saying, hey, I have a fantasy I'd like to share with you. Mm-hmm. And then she would go, yeah, oh, okay, go ahead. And vice versa. So now we're we're like actually sharing more about our fantasies, we, but we haven't gotten any close to, closer to planning any of them other than the fact that we're just sharing them and it's actually incredibly erotic yeah. to share that kind of information. And sometimes it becomes fodder for our lovemaking. And sometimes during the lovemaking, we'll share fantasies about things that we want to do or that we could do or that we've thought about doing. And we don't necessarily go and do any of them. But what I found, which is kind of cool, is that talking about fantasies has served as a form of dirty talk. Yep. It has like, it's like, a, and it's like a sweet kind, you know, I'm not like degrading her. She's not degrading me. We're, we're like bringing positivity to our relationship. Yeah. And that's absolutely something that a lot of people use their fantasies for is a tool for heightening arousal. And so sometimes all a couple will ever do is just share their fantasies as a form of erotic play. And that might be enough for them. Um, you know, when it comes to actually acting on the fantasy, some types of people are probably more inclined to want to go 
that extra step. So for example, some people are high in this personality trait that we call sensation seeking. And basically they just have a higher threshold for sexual stimulation and excitement. They just need a more potent stimulus in order to get off. And this is actually tied to their brain sensitivity to the neurotransmitter dopamine, which is involved in feelings of pleasure. And so basically they need a more potent stimulus to get the same effect that other people would feel. So for a sensation seeker, they would be more inclined to, to kind of need to go or feel the need to go the extra step of acting on their fantasies to really get that boost of excitement that they need in their sex life. But for people who are not sensation seekers, you know, just having the dirty talk is potent enough to keep levels of arousal high. So again, it's just kind of dependent on you and your partner and what your threshold stimulations are for excitement. Uh, one of the tools that I use, so uh, my lady and I, at some point, I, when was this? This is probably in like November. I invited her to, uh, on a date to a bar that wasn't too loud. So it was a, it was like a public place to discuss a private matter is how I uh, framed it. And what I had done was I had printed up uh, two copies of, of auto straddles. Yes, no, maybe list. Mm -hmm. Right. So th this is like a list of, um, sexual acts and behaviors and sensation and activities that you can either say, yes, you want um, to either give or receive or, or do you enjoy and how much do you enjoy giving or receiving? And you can draw like little happy faces or sad faces or neutral faces on uh, next to all of these acts. And so we went to this, this bar in Montreal and we, you know, I presented her with this activity and would she like to join me in this? And we both spent like, you know, 30 minutes filling out our forms and then we switched forms. So it's sort of like the app that you were talking about, mm -hmm. but without like, you weren't able to hide the things that we didn't come together on. And then we just went through all of the acts and, and like talked about them. And by the end of that, like, we spent three hours there and we were incredibly turned on. Like it was outrageous. And now... I have like a list of 12 things that I know she is interested in exploring. And she has a list of about 12 things that she knows that I'm interested in exploring. And we can bring up those things whenever we want to like spice it up or add some novelty or uh, do something different. And so it was just like a really fun exercise and it was very like low pressure mm -hmm. just because we had answered that we were interested in it didn't mean that we had to go and do it right away. Right. And I think that, that's a great potential approach for people to take in terms of sharing their fantasies. If people don't feel comfortable revealing things that their partner might not be into, then, you know, maybe one of the apps would work out better where it's only going to show you what you know your partner is into. And, um, you know, so it's, it's figuring out what's the right approach for you, but also when it comes to sharing sexual fantasies with a partner, if you're just going to come out and express them, I think it's important to to make it clear whether this is something that you actually want to do or if you're just sharing it as a means of bringing you guys closer so that they can better understand each other's sexual psychology. Because I think a lot of people are kind of under the impression that if my partner says they fantasize about this, that they necessarily want to do it. So again, it's, it's thinking about how you frame the fantasy and 
presenting it in a way that validates your partner, doesn't scare them, uh, doesn't lead them to automatically assume that you're going to try and coerce them into doing this behavior, right? You got to put their mind at ease and think about how you're presenting this information. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Uh, I'm just thinking about how threatening it could be to say that you want to sleep with somebody else or that you want to, you know, explore BDSM or any of the other ones that you named, uh, explore non-monogamy, even like not together, right? Like separate non-monogamy that can feel incredibly threatening. Yeah. And I guess I'm curious, like how do you sort of soothe and let the other person know that, um, that this isn't, you know, a threat to your relationship. And so that's where the the framing of the fantasy really comes back in, where it's also letting them know that I find you to be very attractive. I am turned on by you. And tell them about the integral role that they play in your fantasy. So for example, if this is a multi-partner fantasy that you have, you can talk about their role in the fantasy and the ways that you want to see them experience pleasure and how this is not just an experience for you, but it's something for for both of you and that will bring you closer and bring pleasure and excitement to everyone. So it's play up the the integral role that your partner plays and validate them as you share the fantasy so that they aren't left feeling insecure or threatened. That's yeah, that's a beautiful tool. Um, share with them what, what they will bring to the fantasy. What is their role, their pivotal role in the fantasy? Um, I want to switch gears for a little bit. I'm kind of curious have you, is there a fantasy that you've explored recently in the last, like, whatever, five years um, that you feel comfortable sharing with with us and, like, the effects that that had on your relationship? <laughs> um, boy, that's a question I've never been asked before. <laughs> <laughs> and no is an appropriate answer. It's, uh, I, won't, I won't be offended. Well, I, I'll, I'll talk about this at a general level because, you know, I, I try to speak from a research-based standpoint as much as possible because what makes me different from most other uh, people who are out there blogging about sex and writing about it is that I, I try to base everything in data uh, so that people can make research-based decisions rather than just they try and follow in my footsteps. Um, but I will say that I've followed a lot of my own advice in my personal life uh, in, in terms of the research-based insights that I've drawn, and my life is much better and much richer for it. You know, I think a lot of people tend to assume that people who get into sex research do it because they're already super comfortable talking about sex and that they're very sexually active and and all these other sorts of things. And that wasn't the case at all for me. I came from a pretty conservative upbringing and did not have any sex education and kind of fell into my career accidentally. And so being able to work in this area is something that has dramatically improved my own sex life and relationship because I am able to take so many of the the tools and skills that I've learned and, and apply them in my own life. So a, a lot of the things that I'm talking about you know, yes, there is research and data showing that they work, but anecdotally, 
they've worked for me as well uh, in terms of ways that you might frame fantasies to a partner or, you know, sort of the gradual process through which all of this communication goes and happens. I'll, I'll accept the answer. (laughs) (laughs) And I also, I mean, I know that you're research driven, that you're, you're data backed. Like it's obvious just talking to you. Uh, And also (laughs) the way I relate with people is the like sharing personal experiences. And so I'm always curious about the, the like experts, you know, the like experts that have a lot of data and a lot of research, like what's going on in their life. And I also totally respect the fact that like, that's not who you are. So Thank you for sharing that. The, thank you for replying in the way that you did. It's very much in character, and I appreciate it. Um, I, I think. Hold on. Let's see. Um, okay. Yeah, I think this is a good. This is a good spot. I don't want to overwhelm people. I want to give people just like what they need to like get started. Mm-hmm. So where can we find uh, you? Where can we find you? I run a blog called Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com where I blog about new sex research and answer people's sex questions several times per week. Uh, You can also find links to all of my social media channels, my books, and other works. And uh, just keep up to date with the latest sex research and education. And how can people work with you? So they can work with me in a couple of different ways. Uh, So if people want to participate in sex research, there's a page on my website for sex studies. And I post links to my own studies there, as well as uh, sex studies being run by researchers all over the world. So if you want to make a contribution to the science of sex, uh, you can work with us uh, in that way. Oh, awesome. And a final question, what does love mean to you? Boy, that is a big question. And, you know, I guess I would answer that, would have answered that differently at a, a different point in my life. And, you know, as a, as a researcher, I think my view of that is something that is very much informed by the, the work that I've conducted. And I think that love, like everything else, means different things to different people. But, to me, based on my accumulated life experiences and the the work that I've done, it's really mostly about accepting somebody for who they are, flaws and all, and recognizing that you're not always going to see perfectly eye to eye on everything and that that's okay. And I, I think so much of love and a such a huge part of it is just having respect for the other person to allow them to be who they are and to recognize that it's okay if they want some things that are that are different from you and to learn how to be happy seeing them being happy. Mm. That's beautiful and perfect. And thank, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Thank you for spending this hour with me and Justin. Also, 
A quick note, next month's workshop is on flirtation and authentic seduction, and I am super pumped to be putting it together. It's not quite ready, so the best way to get pre-sale access to it is to sign up for my email list. Some of you already know this, some of you don't though. And the best way to sign up is just to go to thelovedrive.com forward slash email and sign up. I'm not going to overload you. I think there's like a seven email welcome sequence, and then you'll probably get an email every two weeks um, sharing with you some of my latest and most popular Medium blog posts or Instagram posts. And you'll also get pre-sale access to any of the workshops that I launch. Thelovedrive.com forward slash email and have a beautiful week.